Welcome to the Together for Good podcast brought to you by Bethany Lutheran Church in Cherry Hills Village, Colorado. Our episode today is part one of a four-part series that we're going to be using as a study for Advent. Each week I'm going to lead you through a Bible study, a different passage of scripture that we're going to look at, but we're going to have an eye towards the different themes that are connected with the Advent season. If you don't You'll get a little more detail as we get into this study, but week one of Advent is always the week of hope. So here it is, a Bible study based on Luke chapter 2 that really is focusing on hope. Hey everybody, we're going to be doing some Bible study. I thought that a great way for this podcast to function during the Advent season was each week to study a different passage of Scripture, but to study a passage of Scripture that that really relates, one, to the Advent experience and the Advent themes, but in particular to the weekly themes of Advent. Little known fact, Advent is this first season of the church year, and there's four weeks of it, right? You might remember the Advent candles that we light, one for each week. But actually, each week also has a theme that's connected to it. Each one of those candles is supposed to represent a particular element of our faith. So Advent week number one is the week of hope. And I wanted to lead us through a Bible study on hope today. Certainly something I think that we can all be in favor of, given the times that we find ourselves in. And and so with this idea, right, Advent is a season of anticipation and preparation as we look towards the coming of the Messiah. And, And so that alone should fill us with hope. But in order to tap into this idea just a little bit more, I wanted to go through the famous Charlie Brown Christmas story and look for all the ways that this story of Jesus's birth can fill us with hope. Because after all, that's what Advent is waiting for. It's waiting for the birth of Jesus. So let's look at the actual story itself and think about the ways that it articulates promises of hope for us and recognize that that's what we're waiting for, right? It's just one big hope sandwich. And so, like I said, we're going to be looking at the Charlie Brown version of the Christmas story, Right? We've all seen the Charlie Brown uh, episode, I'm sure, when Linus stands up and reads the Christmas story. And, and the particular story that Linus reads is from the Gospel of Luke. Matthew also has a little bit about Jesus' birth, um, but Luke is the most famous version of the Christmas story. And there's a lot of cool stuff in there. So if you wanted to have your Bibles out, we're looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And this will all sound familiar. I'm going to just kind of go through it in chunks and give you little pieces to process as we work our way through. So Luke chapter 1 starts off like this. This will sound, or Luke chapter 2, I should say, starts off like this. This will sound pretty familiar, I'm guessing. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration, and it was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Stop. Whoa. Who's ever heard of Quirinius? We know Syria. Yeah, that's a country that's still around today. But Quirinius, why in the world did Luke think it was important to throw that in here? Here's something you need to know about the Gospel of Luke. Luke was always trying to help people see how the Jesus story connected with actual times and places that they knew about. 
right? Luke was a doctor. He, he was a, a real technical kind of guy. And so he, he probably wanted to make sure that people believed what he was writing down. So he's constantly telling his stories and trying to put them within a particular context so that people would have an idea about when these stories are taking place. Luke doesn't want people just to see them as stories, but as actual events, historical facts that happened. And, and he does that. He gives credence to his ideas by giving you details about who was the governor of Syria at the time that these events were taking place. But here's another significant piece about all of this. They mention Emperor Augustus in that first verse, right? In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus. And that's also a clever little piece that Luke is putting in there. Emperor Augustus had claimed that he was the bringer of peace. And yet, he was a brutal and harsh ruler. And what's going to be interesting is that in this chapter in Luke, Luke is going to make the claim that, in fact, Jesus is the bringer of peace. He's the true bringer of peace. And he's not evil and vicious like Emperor Augustus. So by starting off his telling of the story, by mentioning Emperor Emperor Augustus, Luke is setting us up to recognize Jesus as the antithesis of Emperor Augustus. Pretty cool stuff, right? That's some good writing. Way to go, Luke. Let's move along. Let's see what else he has to say. Read verse 3 and 4 now. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth, Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was a descendant from the house and family of David. Okay, so this verse once again shows us the power of the Roman Empire at the time. And once again, it's giving you a detail that kind of helps you date the story. Oh, when was that census taken? Oh, that's right. I remember when that census was taken. Ah, I see. So Luke is saying that this is all happening during that census. But again, it also shows you the power of Rome, the power of Emperor Augustus at that time, that they were able to force everyone to return to their hometowns to be registered. That's a huge undertaking. There were a lot of people there at that time. And yet everyone went along with it because they were so afraid of the Roman power and oppression. All of this shows and helps characterize Jesus's family. Jesus's family was an obedient family, a family that that was under the thumb of Rome, right? They had to obey Rome's demands. They had to live by Rome's oppression. That's the shadow that hangs over all of Luke's gospel, this looming Roman superpower that everyone is afraid of and that everyone is beholden to. And and so we also learn that there was an oppressive tax structure. (laughs) That's also part of the reality that Jesus was born into. And Luke seems to want us to know this. And finally, in these two verses, we learn that Joseph was a descendant of King David. King David, the the most beloved king in all of Israel, somehow Joseph is related to him because Joseph goes to the town of Bethlehem. That was David's town. So Joseph was a descendant of David's family. And that's important for placing Jesus within this hereditary structure, right? Somehow Jesus is connected to King David 
that detail also would give a lot of credence to Luke's story and would cause a lot of people to listen carefully to this story about Jesus. But I also just hope you see within all those pieces that I just mentioned, right, how much Jesus's situation is probably similar to ours or even other people throughout history who might have had trouble dealing with oppressive tax structures <laughs> or more to the point with oppressive rulers and regimes. This story of Jesus gave people a lot of hope if they found themselves living in a situation where the ruling authorities weren't kind or fair. Jesus knows what that's like because that's the situation Jesus was born into as well. All right, moving along to verse 5 and 6. Joseph went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to deliver her child. So we learn in this little section that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, as all this stuff was going on that we've already talked about. And we need to pause and just recognize what Luke is setting up for us here. As I mentioned, Jesus is a descendant of King David, born in the city of David. Jesus will be shown to be the bringer of peace, even though the oppressive and evil Roman authorities are trying to impose, impose their own form of peace, quote-unquote, on earth. Jesus was born under an oppressive Roman government that forced people to register, and Jesus would live to be the man who overthrew the powerful and lifted up the oppressed. Jesus flips all of this on its head. And just there in the first six verses of Luke, Luke is setting up and helping us have an eye towards all of these difficult oppressive structures that Jesus will ultimately be shown to upset and turn on their head. And not only that, let's also recognize the little detail that Luke throws in there about how Joseph and Mary were engaged. They weren't married and yet she was pregnant. That can be a scandalous situation in our world today, but at those times it was an incredibly scandalous situation. Jesus was born to unwed parents at a time when that was unheard of. But it just adds to these layers that Luke is setting up about how unlikely of a situation it was that Jesus was born into. All right, let's move along. Here we go with verse 7. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now notice how quick and to the point all of that is. Jesus was born and wrapped in cloths and laid in a manger because there was no room in the inn. The true importance of Luke's telling of the story is for us to see the unique timing of the birth of Jesus as a sign of all that is to come for him. Right, Jesus, the, the, the actual detail about the birth where we usually give so much of the attention when, you know, you see the cartoon version of this story or whatever it might be, that's just one single verse. Because to Luke, what's really important is the entire background, all that's going on that Jesus was born into, all that was going on in the world, and then God entered in. God chose to become human at that moment, in that particular place, in this particular way. That shows us something really unique about God's character. 
God doesn't choose powerful and mighty and extravagant. God chooses lowly and difficult and oppressed situations and enters in there. Jesus was placed in a feeding trough because there was no room for him at the inn. What a lowly, humble place to begin. Not only that, but this detail foreshadows the ways that humanity will fail to accept Jesus's mission and ministry. Just as there was no room at the inn, oftentimes there's no room in our heart for the message of Jesus. (laughs) Oftentimes the world does not understand what Jesus is trying to do or accomplish. doesn't mean that God is absent. Maybe it just means that we are turning our backs on what God is trying to do. Let's move along. Verse 8. Now in that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping over their watch of their flocks by night. The, in the area around Bethlehem, there was a hilly region just outside of town. And there were shepherds who were known to live there. It was a good place for you to kind of graze your sheep. But here's the thing. At that time, shepherds were not really well-loved members of society. We have all these romanticized thoughts about shepherds today, right? Like, Jesus is the good shepherd. But it's really funny because back in the first century, shepherds had a reputation for being dirty and antisocial and untrustworthy. Shepherds had a bad reputation mainly because they would often allow their sheep to graze on other people's lands. And so that alone created the circumstance where people are like, ugh, never trust a shepherd. But immediately following the birth of Jesus, Luke decides to mention these despised members of society. You begin to see the connection, don't you? Clearly, the mission of Jesus is going to involve the outcasts, and the lowly within society. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 9. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So we go, right? Luke writes about the humble birth of Jesus in a manger, and about lowly shepherds watching their, their flocks by night, and then dramatically, quickly, We hear about the glory of the Lord shining in the heavens. The lowly beginnings are not the full story. This birth is apparently something otherworldly. And now in verse 10, the angels said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. This phrase, do not be afraid, appears within the scriptures more than any other phrase. Do not be afraid is something, a message that God clearly wants us to hear. And it often appears in points when angels or or prophets or messages from God are coming to the people. And at first it can be really startling and upsetting because it's so otherworldly. And yet the message is clear, don't be afraid of this. God is present. God is doing something important here. And Luke says it very clearly that this message is for all people. It's not just for Emperor Augustus and Quirinius, governor of Syria. It's for lowly, despised shepherds. It's for unwed parents who had to give birth 
in a manger. This message is for all people. And now we read in verse 11. The angel said, To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. With this turn of phrase, Luke is trying to bring Jewish people, who, who might be reading his writings, he's trying to bring Jewish people to see this birth as the coming of the long-awaited Messiah. Notice that the angels again draw attention to Jesus being born in David's city. And they say that he is the Savior and Christ the Lord. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. The one who will bring redemption to Israel. The Messiah was a long-predicted individual who the Jewish people had been waiting for. Someone who would come to, to overthrow Rome. This oppressive authority in their land. And the angels are saying that, yeah, this is the one. Now, the oh, we, we move on to verse 12. I'm losing my place here, sorry. <laughs> this will be a sign for you, the angels said. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And then suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom God favors. The angels sing songs of praise to Jesus for the peace that he is bringing. They're not singing songs to Caesar Augustus, the supposed bringer of peace. They are singing songs of joy and praise to this lowly child in a manger who is the true bringer of peace. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. So the shepherds leave the hills where they're watching their sheep and they go and they find everything exactly as the angels had said it would be. This shows that the angels are telling the truth and right underscores the whole otherworldly happenings that are taking place around this very simple, very humble birth. And now for my favorite line. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. Mary is characterized here as thoughtful and reflective. And in the way that Luke writes it, it, it's as if he's inviting the readers of this story to do the same as Mary. Cherish this story of Christ's birth. Ponder it in your heart day after day. Come to see the ways that God is showing up in unexpected places, in unexpected ways. Ponder the ways that that God is turning everything on its head. God is subverting the Roman authority and bringing peace in a totally new and different way, just as God had promised to do long ago. You see, I hope in just examining the story carefully like we did, you're seeing all the ways that Luke is articulating a message of hope for people who feel beaten down by the system for people who are told that their government is going to bring peace 
and yet they never seem to see anything that looks remotely like that for people who are in social situations that the world deems un unwell, bad, for people who are labeled as untrustworthy and outcast by society. This story has all of that. And this story tells us that God chose to be there for all of these people. I hope that gives you hope today. <laughs> I hope that gives you hope today. That this message can rest within your heart. And as we await Christmas and Christ coming into our lives once again, that all of this would be a strong reminder of the ways that God does show up and that God does choose to be with us. I hope that gives you hope, no matter what you might be facing. This has been week one of our Advent study on these Advent themes. Join us next week for Advent week two, a study of peace. I'm Pastor Nate for the Together for Good podcast. Stay in peace, everyone. <laughs>